you know, speaking of things that people can look at uh, in their walkthroughs, investors, potential purchasers, another one is water pressure, right? So, and the way we typically test that, just a simple functional flow test is to go to, uh, especially an upper floor, right? Because we're fighting the head pressure, water has to go up, they work hard to get to the top floor, um, go up and operate multiple um, hot water fixtures because typically the hot water piping is more subject to that mineral accumulation that results in reduced flow. The largest demand on hot water flow is typically the bathtub. So uh, first I'll go to the sink, turn the hot water on at the sink, then flush the toilet, and then open the uh, bathtub hot water faucet. And then while I'm looking at the sink hot water, I'll throttle on and off okay. the bathtub hot water and see how much fluctuation there is in that sink hot water. And that's typically a pretty good indicator of how much time we have left on the need to replace the old galvanized pipe. Or perhaps there could be some other issues too, right? There could be clogged aerators. There could be an undersized or uh, uh, leaking water service, an old lead service. So yeah, it's you can't typically, just by that simple functional flow test, you get a feel for the general water pressure in the building, but you can't usually pinpoint the exact cause. Right, but you know if you have something, an issue or not, potentially just on right. that initial walkthrough. Right, and then your observations in the basement, if you find other, or behind the uh, vanity cabinets in the bathrooms, if you see old galvanized piping, then you're pretty sure what the deal is, right? I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. Welcome to the Rise and Invest podcast. I'm your host, Drew Brenneman. With me today is Dan Cullen. Welcome. Thanks, Drew. Great. Dan's the founder of Domicile Consulting, a physical inspection company inspecting buildings in Chicago. I wanted to have him on here and just go over some inspection stories, what to look for, just kind of pick his brain, everything inspection-wise. Uh, kind of interesting how we, we met. I was just asking him if he knows if they're still number one on Yelp for Chicago or not. Um, but that's how, uh, basically we met. I was, uh, had, I think bought like three or four buildings here already. Every inspection I did was with a different person. I didn't like basically what they produced for the physical inspection. Okay. We were buying it. And then maybe on my fourth or fifth deal, I was just like, I need to just go on the internet basically and try something new. And then you guys were number one on Yelp and had the, uh, you know, the, the owner got come uh -huh. out and inspect and you did a great job and you know probably like 10 plus inspections later here we are did you read through the reviews or just look at that number one rating and go with that uh i think i did i would i always read some of the reviews uh -huh. and, but i and then to something on yelp you can see also the ones that are hidden uh, hidden yeah, yeah. it's because I, I don't know how that works i don't have a yelp page how to well one way it works is if the reviewer the person reviewing the service or business doesn't have more reviews. If they only reviewed that business, oh. then they're going to push them off to the side. 
which kind of sucks a lot, right? Because you can get some really glowing reviews and because they didn't review any restaurants or anything like that, uh, hair salons, they're, they're not shown. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cause then, right. They think it could be a fake review. Exactly. But might just be someone who's or prompted or yeah. paid for. Yeah. But it might just be they're compelled enough to finally leave one. Exactly. So, I mean, right. I have not left a lot of reviews, but I, um, I have left some, but I mean, yeah. if I have a Yelp account, it's probably like that like right. yeah, one review, but nice. Yeah. That's, uh, and then I guess speaking of reviews, I mean, if anybody uh, really would help the podcast, if we could get more reviews uh, uh, and ratings on Apple, especially, you can go on there and then you can give it a one to five star rating. Obviously, five star would be appreciated. And then you can write up a, a little thing there, too. This also on YouTube. You can go on there and like and subscribe, okay. uh, comment just so anybody listening that would really help us get the podcast out and just kind of feed those algorithms and get more engagement get the sure are you on stitcher out. uh i don't think so we how about use that spotify yeah spotify okay. apple and youtube great so what would you say how many properties do you think you've inspected over the years probably ten thousand or so okay um, nice. i started doing in the actual inspection industry i started working for a, a company that was a vendor to Allstate and some other uh, homeowner insurance companies and i started doing insurance inspections so when a homeowner would buy a new house and have to have a new insurance policy written, I would go out and look at the house. I mean, they were pretty cursory. Yeah. I we've think, had those. Yeah. Yeah. We've, every time we buy one, we, uh-huh. the property, they usually send out an insurance inspector. Yeah. Some and, with COVID now they're doing it online or they have like a, oh, what do you want to call it? Like a form to fill out almost online. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like on their app or you need, we need pictures of the electrical panel and different uh-huh. things. So some. Right. Just, anyways, keep going. Oh, so they have the, the homeowners send in photos. Yeah. Interesting. On the last few apartments we bought, well, they, it wasn't, uh-huh. they instead of sending the person out, it was you do the work. That reminds me. So we'll talk about that later. But the, people are trying to combine AI into the inspection industry. It's oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. A couple Let's, of I'll, stories I'll about that. that on but, here at the end. But yeah, so I did insurance inspections for about three years. And then I ran into a guy who um, had an inspection business and his inspection business started his name was ron gann and he had a company called the homestar group working mostly on the north side of the city and uh, he started out because he was the first contractor outside of boston that this old house uh, had on their show right they did a graystone rehab here in uh, chicago and that kind of you know put his name out there and he started a home inspection business after that nice and he had a multi-inspector firm and i went to work for him in like I think 96 or seven or something like that and worked for him for about three years. And then I went out on my own around 2000 or so. Great. So, and then, yeah, that's so, so 10,000 buildings, then you've, you've learned. Yeah, easily. Two, and uh, that's just inspections. That doesn't count when I was a contractor and I would, you know, look at homes for proposals and estimates and stuff. Yeah. Cause then so, you're, I mean, maybe just, if you want to run us quickly through your background where, cause it's interesting. Sure. Sort of progression here so in the what they call the built environment industry um i started out when i was about 14 helping my dad doing uh tuck pointing um and uh then uh, i read an ad in a local paper they were looking for uh people to become carpenters uh, in the uh, apprenticeship program in the city here and uh, i applied for that took a test and shortly after started my carpentry apprenticeship that was 1976 
and I did a four-year apprenticeship, became a journeyman in 1980. And then same 1980, I got on the Chicago Fire Department. So I did carpentry work and I was a fireman for the next 20 some years. Full-time or? Full-time kind of both. So wow. like two some like full-time jobs. Yeah. So, you know, as a fireman, we work 24 hours and then we're off 48. So even on a really tough day, you still have at least one day in between shifts at the fire department to do outside work. So, yeah, so I had a remodeling and construction business, mostly down in Beverly, worked on a lot of big older homes. Um, we One time we did a year and a half project on a 9,000 square foot uh, mansion, basically did a gut rehab and it was uh, one of the local Channel 2 broadcasters, he bought it, him and his wife. And, uh, that was a fun job. So nice. And then, uh, like I said, I ran into this guy that had a home inspection business. He was looking for somebody, and I worked for him for a couple of years, learned a lot from him. And then went on my own, year 2000 or so. And uh, that was tough. I had no technical background. I did a little bit of work out of for a guy out of Colorado who was doing uh, investor inspections in the city. And uh, those inspections were so, uh, we had to, not only do uh, photos of everything, but also a walkthrough with a video camera. And I had to download a lot of stuff. And this was 2000, yeah. it was a little early in the digital revolution, you know, and I needed a lot of uh, care and feeding to get to yeah. come up to speed on that. So back then, how did you even get the videos to them? Man, you know, that was so long ago. Uh, really it was all over the internet. So. It's interesting that yeah, it was that that, that volume way. of information was able to be. I mean, I, honestly, I thought you were going to say we put it on a disk drive and mailed it. I don't think so. Now the insurance inspections that was you know strictly thirty five millimeter and go to Walgreens out, and yeah. all that. Oh man, you know, so. Uh, but I, mean, I remember it, that from my childhood. And <laughs> I was going to the camera store and looking at what's in there. Uh huh. Right. Cases would be hot from the lights and yeah, the little plastic canisters. Like, yeah. 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 But then, all right. Well, great. What's what is a inspection let's say uh, range these days so then if you want to give a different answer for homes and investment properties but how as much far as cost yeah well um obviously that varies from inspector to inspector and for a new inspector the primary way they're going to compete in the industry is by pricing right so i mean you'll see guys out there who are advertising inspect any home for 195 or 250 or whatever but our uh, basic inspection for, say, a one-bedroom or a studio condo, I think that that's three fifty or three seventy-five. And then for something like, let's say, a five-bedroom home, that's maybe five thousand square feet, that's you know in the nine hundred some dollar range. So, and then radon testing, which really every homeowner should should have before they buy a house, um, that's around two hundred two hundred twenty-five dollars extra. So and then what about investment properties? What would the range be? People are thinking about that. You know, um, I just look at the property on LoopNet or uh, look on Google Earth and try and get a feel for how long it's going to take. And if I'll need other help on it, you know, another inspector or even a specialist to come out like an electrician, commercial electrician or something. Yeah. And then just price it kind of off the cuff. Just like the podcast, Troy, yeah. let's say yes and yeah. figure it out. All right. Yeah, no, on. sounds good. That's I mean, my answer model. from what I've seen, it depends on the property size and company. And this isn't just domicile, but right. depends on the size. I think we've paid between 
two thousand dollars and fifteen thousand for some. Right. I mean, obviously the fifteen thousand. Yeah, call me like, on the next fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, that's check. good. Yeah, yeah, that one was, uh, uh, I think, a hundred units, give or take, uh-huh. and then that also included they brought a pest inspector, uh-huh. uh, camera the sewers. Um, right. That's just like a round, rough number. It might sure. have been ten or twelve, but um, I mean, why don't we? Let's just get into that. Not why should people uh, radon test properties then? So radon is kind of like carbon monoxide. It's odorless, invisible, can't taste it, smell it, or anything. So, um, and yet it's deadly, like carbon monoxide. However, it doesn't make the news like when a family dies because their furnace was blocked, oh, right? Yep. Um, so with uh, radon, it, the damage is done over time, and there's uh, the EPA attributes twenty-two thousand uh, radon-induced lung cancer deaths every year. Wow. Yeah, from exposure to radon in the home. So as uh, everybody knows, we're spending more and more time indoors now. And especially when we have a finished basement, uh, you really should get a radon test done because there's no way to know, no, no matter what the local activity is for radon levels, there's no way to know what your specific results are going to be unless you test that house. So you can have really high levels in one home and right next door, basically zero because it's based on geological formations and they're basically radon is the result of uranium decaying uranium deposits below ground Interesting. and it filters its way into the home through the foundation yeah it's real local to where the house is absolutely yeah. right and to the specific geological formations below the house soil characteristics stuff like that so um in conjunction with a real estate transaction the typical radon test is 48 hours that's really the minimum um and it's really kind of inadequate because radon levels, if you ever looked at a graph of daily radon levels, they can fluctuate greatly. And the longer term the test, the more accurate the test. But because of the exigencies of a real estate transaction, right, everybody needs everything done quickly, um, we're only allowed by state standards 48 hours basically to take to do the test. So you can get false negatives or false positives depending on the environmental conditions, the conditions going on inside the home during the duration of the test. And so we, in conjunction with every radon test we do, we recommend that homeowners buy their own personal radon monitor and put it in their house. And then they can do that long-term test their IOT devices, they can constantly monitor radon levels in the home. And some of the devices uh, measure other indoor air quality parameters as well, like um, volatile organic compounds, VOCs, carbon dioxide, which is a really good indicator of indoor air quality, uh, humidity levels, et cetera. Interesting. Nice. And that those kind of devices, those are just, you just buy them at Home Depot or Amazon? You or can, they're you getting more and more common now. The uh, company who's devices we use for the professional radon tests that's called uh, Corentium. They're out of Norway. They're, it was a company put together by uh, scientists from uh, CERN labs in, I believe it's Switzerland. Um, uh, they make a homeowner device now too. And then the one that, only can, a couple hundred bucks. that can detect the different compounds yeah. in the area you're talking about is that yeah. one? Two or three hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And what's the name of that company again? Uh, Air Things. Air the Things. parent company is Corentium. Okay, Things.com, yeah. Download our 100-plus page passive investing guidebook today at riseinvest.com slash downloads. Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. 
now back to the show. So then what, what as a investment property and you've bought investment properties too. Yeah. And I know small ones, a few small ones rather. So, and then, um, what, what would you think, what would you say investment property buyers, what should they be thinking about or looking for when they do a physical inspection? That's a great question, Drew. So obviously the big difference between, uh, investment property purchasers and people who are buying a home for themselves and their family. A lot of that is on one side, you're looking at dollars and cents mostly. And the other side, there's a big emotional component mm -hmm. to that transaction, right? So you want to know how to optimize that property within reason, right? We're not going to go in there and gut everything and redo it as new, but you want to know how to make that property safe, durable, comfort, comfortable, and, and efficient right and i think the same holds true for most uh investment owners because all those things translate into money in the end right or liability right you're doing due diligence you want to make sure that you're not opening yourselves up to some kind of liability from uh the occupants right? and what, what will be some examples of issues like that where you oh man some liability. of the uh investment properties i've looked at particularly um some of the ones in uh outlying areas like uh, uh the one investor i told you about who's buying in peoria area in rockford um like there's buildings built in the 70s there was a lot of building in the 70s uh multifamily building and uh a lot of the gas forced air furnaces are still the original from the 1970s wow and they are in atrocious condition in every way, safety, efficiency, and comfort. And, uh, you know, but uh, some investors just look at it strictly like, you know, price per unit, how much I'm gonna have to put into it. And uh, it's, it's all just numbers to them, you know. And when I look at a property for my own purchase, I'm looking more at, you know, how was this building constructed? How has it been maintained over the year? What's kind of the, the soul of that building, right? And do I want a, it to be a part of my yeah. psyche, right? Because I, I, I can't, I'm not an investor in that way, like just uh, dollars and cents, you know? I know what you mean. And too, I think it's hard to put into how to describe maybe what you're talking about if you were to say, here's what to look for. But uh -huh. you can tell when you go to a building if the, the prior owners have... Uh, have done a good job with maintenance if they've, let's say, cared about it exactly. or or they're just uh, sucking money out of it, basically. And they're looking for the cheapest fix on every single issue that comes up, yeah. right? There was a, a deal, um, I remember we were at, that we were we were looking to buy and they uh, touring it with the mm -hmm. builder and they, they had, going down to the lower level, they had wood stairs. Uh -huh. um, they had built-ins and the wall and then I think wood wood tile or a tile that looked like wood in the basement uh -huh. and i you know i remarked to them like this is you know this is stuff in like if it's in chicago this is like in million dollar homes this uh -huh. is not in an apartment building right i mean stairs you put carpet on that and keep it cheap yeah, and then right. why are you doing built-ins it's uh -huh. you know um you know if you're trying to just go the cheapest routes you could tell right. they, that that building they were not going the cheapest uh -huh. route so if that's what they were doing with what you could see you know my exact opinion you know i can't see in the walls is uh as some inspectors like to say, right. um, that they don't, uh, I don't know for sure what they were doing, but if they're going to that extent outside, like I feel good about that one. Yeah. There's less of a chance that you're going to find some concealed or latent issues down the road. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what, but let's say, okay, you're, uh, what would be some red flags? And let's ask that maybe a different way. You're going there and here are the, these like the top things to be concerned about. Well, first of all, um, 
I cite the walls, right? You look outside from a distance and you look at the building from all angles and you look for deviations, right? You look for liens, for uh, hogs in the wall and what they call in the yeah. masonry trade. Um, uh, you look at the windows and doorways to make sure they're, they're not skewed, you know, signs of unanticipated structural or foundation movement. Um, and just get a general sense for, of course, you know, I'm sure you've run into issues with moisture in your buildings, right? Water winds is what people say. Moisture management is huge. And most of that results from how the exterior walls were, were constructed. We talked a little bit before about uh, the difference between new buildings and old buildings. And uh, older buildings were built with more mass, right? The materials were generally more robust. They can take some moisture exposure without starting to crumble. They can get wet and dry and get wet and dry without a lot of outward sign of deterioration. And new buildings are pretty much the opposite, right? They're built with materials that are lighter, less dense, and more uh, uh, subject to deterioration from moisture exposure. Yeah, and that right before, I mean, we, that's one thing before we turn the mics on, we were chatting about, because it would surprise people where you would think, I'm buying a new property, this should be, essentially, there's no right. issues. Or if you're buying a 100-year-old building, there's going to be a lot of issues. Right. And from my experience, it's, I would say it's, it's really the opposite. Absolutely. Where, right, when you say more dense, what that looks like, let's say, with the masonry, it's three bricks deep, and then uh, in the wall then you don't really even need insulation then or and then water is very tough to get in through all that where nowadays you build something new you have a, like a, a cinder block behind it and then a space and then one brick where now it's it, with the design saying water will get in and then we'll we'll have these uh flashings and catch the water and go out right which are the flashings are always ripped or missing or yep. some there i've i don't think we've ever been to a building where i've been like oh this was flashed really well i'm uh -huh. feeling good about this new building right um usually it's the opposite where you're just looking at a new building and there's a, a issue and yeah i mean we've had you know whether it's from a roof or masonry i mean we've had I don't know, like a lot of water all right. over the place. So if you're a new investor, like and you're buying brick buildings, like that's actually surprisingly to be expected if you're me at this point, that right. there will be taking some water. Where like my grandparents, they had this brick duplex in Milwaukee that they lived in uh -huh. for basically their whole lives. And Never then, leaked, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a bomb shelter, basically. Right. Like this thing was solid and had a pitched roof, you know, which mm -hmm. that's something. Uh, Makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah. That, oh, yeah. Why don't you. So if, if you're looking at a building. So if you're looking at you know, a building, especially a concrete block building, right? Uh, they call that single wythe construction. You said how these older buildings had three layers of brick. Those are called wythes, right? That vertical plane of brick. And each vertical plane has a space in between. So that's why it's so hard for water to get all the way to the interior because you have the outside facade of the brick, then a space, another vertical layer or plane of brick, and then the third one, and for water to get all the way yeah. through to the interior is pretty difficult. So yeah, and then sometimes they turn one of the bricks too, make it a longer. Well, yeah, that's how uh, in older buildings you can tell if it's brick veneer or solid masonry, right? If it's two layers or more of brick, or just one layer over a wood frame wall. If every seventh horizontal course they turned one brick sideways, oh. that's how they locked those two whites 
of masonry together. Just like if you're stacking yeah. pallets, uh, stacking boxes on a pallet, right? You're going to turn one sideways to lock those together. It's the same thing with the masonry wall. That's how they did it. Nowadays, they'll use uh, masonry anchors or ties, galvanized or stainless steel ties that are concealed, and they don't turn that uh, brick sideways anymore. That's called the, the head joint that you would see, the edge of the end of the brick. And that's going in through the brick and then the block behind it then, or where is that Yeah, going? and you can have either brick and brick, right, two brick withes or planes of brick or brick and block. And the reason people use block is because they're bigger, less labor-intensive to lay them, right? You can lay a lot more block in one day than you can yeah. brick and labor. You know, everybody mm -hmm. wants to keep labor costs down, so... But yeah, we had a presentation. I was a member of the, have you ever heard of ACTHA? Association of the Condominium and Townhome. Association of Condominium and Townhome Associations. Okay, nice. No, I haven't. I'm, I try to stay away from uh, associations. Any yeah, right. But anyway, I was a member and yeah. we had a presentation by a uh, forensic building investigator. And that's exactly what he said. He's, his, the bulk of his work is new construction because it's much more subject to moisture penetration issues. Yeah. And water is what creates most problems in, in buildings. Yeah, so then just to circle back, so for issues or call it red flags, number one was structural. If you see something bowing out or not straight, right. or you're, uh, a good one was if your the doors aren't closing, yeah. let's say it's hitting or the locks don't line up. Right. Could, be, could be something just related to the door. It could be something with foundational. And structural yeah. or it, it could be normal uh lumber shrinkage you know a lot of the lumber is damp when it goes in and then shrinks over the first year or so uh, as the moisture kind of acclimatizes and then that can cause some movement too what what what, what should someone and this is I, a lot of this i already know but i'm trying mm -hmm. to sure get it out so for the people that don't know what would we uh what would someone do would you recommend they do they do see what looks like maybe a slant in the building some sort of mm -hmm. settling What's the next step? You just run from it or what, what would you recommend? Well, do? Um, my uh, first thought when I see something like that is always why buy a crooked building, right? I mean, if there's no other buildings available, well, okay, I'll, maybe I'll buy that one. But it's going to be kind of a hindrance uh, when you to go any sell. future sell, yeah. sale, right? Um, so, but sometimes a foundation issue can be in a... a uh, uh, buying opportunity, right? A lot of people will run from a foundation issue, but typically they're quantifiable and repairable, right? Yep. Uh, have so, you had any? Not really. Of uh, what I was uh, thinking, you were going to say is you would call an engineer next, like a structural engineer, someone who specializes in that. Because I, my experience so far is you have out of the buildings that are, you know, let's say look like they're have an issue I mean, mm -hmm. it either does or it doesn't but right. it might be done settling or it could be something that chicago there's a lot of really old buildings this happened 90 years ago and then right. it, it's just been like that for 90 years and then there's stuff they can check where they go okay but then this was all renovated 20 years ago and all there's no cracks in the drywall and all the doors are fine they, they look at the basement and right. do what they do and they go this was just this happened a long time ago it's not right. ongoing sure so the actually so i've yeah, good point on resale value, I guess, you know, where, yeah, why, um, maybe why take the risk. But if, you know, you really want that deal, I mean, the next step would be, uh, you know, get either an a structural engineer or, uh, especially on smaller properties, I often recommend 
hiring or, or uh, calling a foundation repair contractor directly. Oh, interesting. Because a uh, uh, structural engineer is going to be a pretty significant charge for even a minimal uh, review, right? But then would would you, I mean, personally, I'd probably be concerned you send out a foundation company. There, I mean, they, there you they have a dog in the fight, a, right? A foundation, yeah. Yeah. Well, there are one or two in the local industry that I trust, and I've worked with them on problem-solving uh, deals, um, and I, I know that they're, they're not one-size-fits-all repair people, right? Okay. Where it's going to be the maximum. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Do you want to give their names or those companies? The, the one that leaps to mind is Atlas Restoration. And I've seen them, the, the co-owner of the company, out with a garden hose flooding a foundation, trying to show that, you no, know, this is exactly where it's leaking. This is exactly what needs to be fixed instead of, hey, you need a whole perimeter drainage system installed, right? Oh, nice. So... You know, okay. I, I like to see people like that. Yeah, that are, I mean, you can tell that the best interest of the client is at heart, not necessarily the best interest of the company. Yeah, that's great. And so Atlas is the mm -hmm. name. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Then what, what do you think are some things that are either issues or things that most investment property buyers aren't thinking about? They get going on a deal, inspection comes. Well, on smaller buildings, especially in this city, a lot of times the electrical feed is undersized, right? You might have a six or eight unit building with a 200 amp service and six or eight air conditioning condensers uh, that are all running at the same time in the summertime. And that's an undersized service, right? So a lot of folks don't realize that that's a significant expense. It could be 10, 15 grand or more to upgrade all that stuff. Yeah, just on a six unit, we were at and we were adding a seventh unit. Uh -huh. um, and with and one of the things that was required on the permit was to upgrade, upgrade service the service yeah. to 400 or 600. I don't, I don't remember, but it was it was 15,000. Yeah, was it okay. at the time and that was in right. 2017. So yeah. it's not today's price. anymore. Right. But that um, at the time, that's what it was. Right. And, and that, along the same lines is the water service, right? Yeah. And that they um, yeah. And that's real common here where they yeah. you have a. Um, lead a lead pipe right. right coming in and then that's a great this person's doing an upgrade perfect yeah. to get the city to right upgrade the, the the pipe on your your dime but also i mean needed where the water pressure could be low and i mean right how long you want water running through lead pipes right you can avoid it nice yeah then what about let's say you're buying an investment condo okay. one thing that i found interesting is now like a lot of folks will just go in and disinspect that unit right what's your approach so that's called a paint-to-paint paint. in the inspection industry. It's called a paint-to-paint paint inspection, right? And a lot of inspectors feel that um, that helps limit their liability when they're not looking at the common areas. I think it's just the opposite, right? You've got a client who's buying into a three, four, six, eight, even a 10, 10 or 12-unit condominium building. That's a lot of exposure, right, if something major needs to be done to that building. So I think it's uh, incumbent upon any diligent inspector to look the entire building over as much as is accessible and reasonable. Obviously, in a, a high-rise purchase, purchase of a single unit in a high-rise building, you're not going to be crawling all over the outside. But um, uh, on smaller buildings, you should be able to give your client a pretty good idea of what upcoming major expenses might be. Because there's a lot of smaller condominium buildings in the city. We talked about leaking masonry, right? single wife, a concrete block construction, split face block. Yeah. 
that have been leaking for years and years and have never been properly fixed. Yeah, we have had, um, I, I don't want to, I guess, be too dramatic, but so many problems with yeah. water at these multi-unit buildings we have that are brick. Right. And I always think to myself, wow, if this was a condo building, this would be a total disaster. Yeah. But as the owner of all of it, you just, all right, this leaking's coming through the second floor, hitting the first floor, then collecting in the finished basement. Right. I mean, imagine if you just own that last unit in the basement and it's just leaking above you and no one will do anything. Right. Because no, it's not affecting them. Yeah. And also right. no and one, there's the absentee owners. Yeah. Right. Or, or you really, none of the people are in real estate either. Yeah. It's, you know, you have other professions as owners. Right. No one really knows what to do. But they're getting advice from their brother-in-law and their cousin and everything. And they're telling them, you know, what needs to be done and nobody can come to a conclusion. Yeah. And, and for, in the meantime, you're sitting in a swamp. Right. right. And for us, it's, you know, and also people, you know, move in and out. So we see that we go, all right, we're not going to re-rent the unit, pull Until, the floor up, right. You know, repair that and then work our way up, fix the problem. Right. You know, and yeah. then that, and then you can just, and you can get in everybody's unit. Yeah. And then where if this is homeowners, this is, you know, I, so I think that all the time where we've had all sorts of problems and everything's fixable. And, um, we found a really good contractor here in Chicago who's been a lifesaver on these kind of issues. Cause we can get them out for, let's say smaller stuff, but uh -huh. it's like a very difficult. Is that masonry job. related or everything? Uh, you, you know who it is. It's Tom. Oh, Tom. Tom, Tom. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. And so he, he been just a lifesaver yeah. on these kind of things. Um, yeah. It's, I love meeting guys like that. Yeah. Just a wealth of knowledge and very trustworthy. Yeah. And so that's, um, and so, but I always think, wow, if I own this like unit on the bot, like it's just yeah. be so difficult. Yeah. So then even for myself, like I didn't, I guess I've seen so much of that. I went from just renting to buy a house and now just back into an apartment where I don't want to be, uh, <laughs> I don't want to buy a condo unless this would be maybe in like a high rise right. where I don't want to, yeah. where, but even that, I guess you've inspected a lot of high rises then and yeah. What uh -huh. would you, so then is there any, so I've seen a lot of issues with these deals. Everything I bought has been four or five stories or less. Okay. And then um, let's say brick, really just brick construction here. Uh -huh. And usually a flat roof, a couple pitched roof deals. But so that's my experience. But then if let's say you're, you're buying a condo and it's a 12 story building mm -hmm. and maybe it's are those built any differently in a meaningful way when you inspect them or were those having a lot talking of talking new construction just i guess either older or new just so with new construction uh what uh has been done more lately thank god is what they call compartmentalization right so the individual condominium units are sealed off from the other units and from the common areas like the uh, elevator hoist ways the plumbing chases and that because if God forbid there's a fire in one of those units and there's communication of smoke, mm -hmm. which is the big killer in, in a fire, right? Um, you're in trouble. But if you're compartmentalized, right? You don't have a constant stream of air flowing into your unit from surrounding parts of that building. You have a much better chance of sheltering in place and being safe until the fire department can, uh, but how, how are they compartmentalized? Like double drywall is what comes to mind, but you would need more than that. But also air sealing, right? Because air is what transports not only smoke in the event of a fire, but also moisture, odors, right? Your your uh, neighbors are coming home and enjoying a nice uh, smoke, yeah. right? After work, or they're cooking some objectionable, strongly scented uh, dish. 
um, you're not being exposed to those odors if you're properly compartmentalized. And I think what people need to realize too, where like uh, some realtors or whether it's commercial brokers or realtors uh, for individual single families, like some take that role, like I'm an advisor and I'm, uh, I'm here to advise you. And like, they're really doing what's best yeah, for you. Absolutely. And then others, it's just a pure sales role, right? This is the listing. I'm want to sell it. Right. And then it happens a lot with these investment properties where people will remark to me, like, I don't understand why they don't know more about the property or don't have this question answered, but it's right. like for some, it's like we have the listing and we're going to sell it and I'm off trying to get the next listing. Right. And so, yeah, to your point where they're not, um, studying up necessarily on the importance of running a camera down the sewer. Cause that's, just, right. that's not helping them. It's another sales. So right. it doesn't, you know, everybody's different. And it, to me, I always, a lot, some people take it as advisor, some yeah. take it as sales. And then, right. If you're talking with the sales folks, that's just right. Yeah. Or just say something and let's keep this deal right. moving. No, there's some great realtors out there. I've been astounded at some of the information that some realtors can provide to clients during, uh, the process, the purchase process. And then of course there's the other flip side, right? Where um, it's strictly like how to get the uh, buyer excited, right? Yeah. And uh, make it ensure that the deal happens. Compartmentalization. Yeah, how are we right. doing How are we doing that? Like, so double drywall maybe for fire and then there's some sort of- Right, but like the double a, drywall doesn't necessarily stop airflow. Right, so right? then there's some sort of vapor, bar like a, a barrier, yeah, so like a, a seal, plastic right. wrap so, type thing. Um, there's over the years there have been different approaches. The most recent one is the same, basically the same way that they seal ductwork inside a, a home. Uh, it's an elastomeric sealant that's pushed in under pressure or spray applied, and it finds all the little gaps in the house in the building shell and seals them up. And now your insulation is much more effective. You're not transporting that water vapor that we can't even see, right? Uh, the humid air in the house isn't going into framing voids, which in the wintertime can be really cold, yeah. right? Because of that building shell leakage and that warm, moist air going into cold framing voids will condense. And now we've, we're surrounded by mold that we can't even see. We don't know is there. Interesting. And so then, but on a lot of the, so newer builds, these high rises there, it's all, it's more compact, yeah, standard. because of the concern about fire safety. Interesting. And, but that also is helping for water. And yeah, other things energy. in the way it is. Okay. Right. Good to know. All right. Well, then maybe I, you know, that direction safe then as a as a buyer. But yeah, I've seen so many issues on the let's you know call it like low rise type product where it's um, they're not doing that. No. And then it's. Um, no. I inspected one uh, 1920s era high rise uh, on the Lakeshore Drive, and I was up on the 20 something floor, and they had recently remodeled the bathroom. And they put in one of those plastic access panels to get to the yeah. valves yeah. behind yep. like the toilet and sink. I took that plastic access panel off and the air coming out of that plumbing chase all the way from the basement would almost knock my baseball cap off my head. It was that small. <laughs> That's what they call the stack effect. Right? Yeah. The stack effect is just how air moves in a chimney, chimney stack, right? Air is going to flow vertically in a building and try and get out the top. Yeah. And in a high rise, especially unsprinklered 1920s vintage high rise, if you have a fire in the basement and that volume of air movement in the plumbing chases, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Wow. Yeah, that is. Uh, and then, too, I, with 
with COVID, I mean, I heard this was just like an article where there was mm-hmm. some building where everyone in a tier, so in a stack, they got it. Yes. I, was, I think that happened in China, right? Yeah, that was probably read the same article. The first, then, yeah. Where yeah. it was everyone in this tier got it. Right. They were testing the sewer to, to confirm uh, right. this. And they're, you know. Yeah, uh, that's why that whole fomite deal was overblown from day one. And the air transmission right. is like... Indoor air quality is a big deal. Yeah. Well, right. If it's a respiratory disease, but uh, right. COVID, but we need to wipe our groceries down. Yeah. So exactly. Again, we're gonna look. Yeah. That's not not living up so well in uh, retrospect right. here. And not to go off on a tangent, yeah. but man, it you know that uh, contamination of indoor air and the uh, the role that HVAC plays in uh, indoor air quality and and occupant health is really tremendous. So then with HVAC, what would you, I mean, you just mentioned that, what would something the, a buyer should be thinking about with HVAC that comes to mind? Yeah, well, I, investors are typically less concerned about the indoor air quality aspect and even a lot of times the energy efficiency aspect, right? Because the tenants are going to be responsible for uh, the utility bills and, um, you know, indoor air quality is a nice thing to have, but not every investor is, is you know, has yeah, that so- uppermost in mind. So more just the basics. What's the age of the equipment? Yeah, as far as what the investor's concerns are, age and safety, right? Because you've got a big liability there if something goes wrong with carbon monoxide, right? right? So the yeah. venting of the furnaces. Now, nowadays, there's a lot of high-efficiency furnaces which are much safer, especially if they're bringing outside air in for combustion. But the older furnaces that were what they call natural draft, right? They depend just on the buoyancy of the waste gas to go out, flow a out of the, yeah. Yeah, into the chimney and out to the atmosphere. Um, those can be really dangerous if we're not careful and if we don't look carefully at the dynamics involved, right? Is there enough makeup air for that furnace to safely operate and to get those gases out of the house? Yep. And, and there's a lot of things that can impact that, right? Especially if we have a fireplace in the unit. If we have uh, bathroom and, and kitchen exhaust fans that are moving a lot of air out of that apartment, they can create a negative pressure. Yeah, so we less makeup air then. Yeah. And it can impede the yeah. movement of the exhaust gas from the furnace and the water heater. Yeah. yeah either was, of which can create a big carbon monoxide yeah. issue. Because I was thinking about the same, I was going to say the same thing applies to water heaters, especially yep, exactly. in multi-unit buildings where you might have a water heater in the basement. Same kind of design you'd see in a house where it's just, you know, passively venting through the chimney. But right. when you get into these larger deals, they're all power vent, which is, means there's a blower on the top and it's pushing out. A, Actively a, pushing that yeah, gas out. On a, just on a specific relying. chimney for that water right. heater or for right. the furnaces, you know, they have yeah. the same sort of setup. Some older multifamilies, you'll see six or eight water heaters in a row, all commonly vented into a masonry chimney. And one thing that should be looked at is on either side of the draft hood of those water heaters where the hot and cold pipes come out of the top of the water heater, there's little plastic grommets around there, typically uh, blue on the cold and red on the hot. And they're right next to that uh, draft hood where the exhaust gas flows out. And if those little plastic grommets are melted, you know you have an exhaust gas exhaust gas issue that could result in carbon monoxide coming into the house interesting what other what other tips like that would do you have something basic you can look at while you're walking through so if you look at the chimney on 
pretty much any modern equipment that doesn't vent with the PVC pipe, like the high efficiency equipment, um, you should see at the top of this chimney, a metal pipe sticking out, not just the clay tile, right? Okay. It should have a metal liner in it for best removal of safest removal of the exhaust gas and the carbon monoxide. But written realistically to see that though, as a buyer, you would, you're on the roof, you're looking down the chimney. That's on smaller properties. You might be able to see it from the ground, but yeah, it, you'd have to get on the roof to see it. And then generally you want to see a cap on that. I'd imagine we don't want animals and right. rain getting mm -hmm. in your chimney. Yes. If you're yeah. going to go through all the trouble of having a liner. You might right. as well and then a bird go goes in there. Yeah. And... It has to go for the cap as well. Right. Or a squirrel. Yeah. That, yeah, I've, it's interesting. Just kind of everything you've mentioned, I've seen it. And then like at buildings I've been looking at or bought or even a, as you're explaining this thing with the water heaters, like I was you're going back deal. into well in my uh, memory yeah right. like one where you explain this where you're like and then if we all go to the chimney i've been in deals where they're the water heater a giant one it's venting to the chimney and then the vent it fell <laughs> yeah, and you're like right. well that's, that's <laughs> not safe <laughs> like why is this not fixed or right. we're all like this basement's not even safe to be in basically yeah. uh you know speaking of things that people can look at uh in their walkthroughs investors potential purchasers Another one is water pressure, right? So, and the way we typically test that, just a simple functional flow test, is to go to, a, especially an upper floor, right? Because we're fighting the head pressure, water has to go up, it work hard to get to the top floor, um, go up and operate multiple um, hot water fixtures. Because typically the hot water piping is more subject to that mineral accumulation that results in reduced flow. I know why that would be. Why would that be? This is an easy way to remember it. Uh-huh. Do you? Be, I, because the minerals come out of solution easier in hot water, I believe. Oh, right? interesting. I th also thought it's it's sitting there in the hot water heater uh -huh. and just kind of you're heating it up. You're just you're doing something to it where now minerals are kind of collect in the hot water heater and you're you're going to be over time adding. So you have the regular amount of minerals plus now you're as your hot water heater tank gets old, you're adding that's to it. That's certainly possible. That's yeah. what I always uh -huh. assumed because right. that's where, um, yeah, I mean, if you want uh, any for a funny inspection thing, go YouTube people. What yeah. uh, the hot water heaters cut open, what they look like, the tanks. Yeah, you know, it's right. uh, once you've had the thing for a while, it's like a half minerals built up or yeah, you know, a on quarter. the bottom. Yeah, right. Anyways, so yeah, but you want to go to the top of the building and then run multiple yeah, hot so water Yeah, so what I'll do is that the, the largest demand on hot water flow is typically the bathtub. So uh, first I'll go to the sink, turn the hot water on at the sink, then flush the toilet, and then open the uh, bathtub hot water faucet. And then while I'm looking at the sink hot water, I'll throttle on and off. Okay. The bathtub hot water and see how much fluctuation there is in that sink hot water. And that's typically a pretty good indicator of how much time we have left on the need to replace the old galvanized pipe. Or perhaps there could be some other issues too, right? There could be clogged aerators. There could be an undersized or uh, uh, leaking water service, an old lead service. So yeah, it's you can't typically just by that simple functional flow test, you get a feel for the general water pressure in the building, but you can't usually pinpoint the exact cause. Right, but you know if you have something, an issue or not potentially, just on right. an initial walkthrough. Right. And then your observations in the basement, if you find other, or behind the uh, vanity cabinets in the bathrooms, if you see 
old galvanized piping, then you're pretty sure what the deal is, right? Yeah, and that's something too that over time I've learned to look for just on the initial tour, mm -hmm. where a lot of these deals, again, the, the the person selling it, they're not. There's no point, honestly, for them to study up on every little detail of the building. They're not going to be the owner. Their job is just to get the highest price. Right. So they're not they're not checking uh, what the pipes are made out of, and then even if you see a uh, you know, a copper pipe, let's say out of that vanity, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean there's copper throughout the whole building, right. you know, maybe that's just, they re renovated the bathroom and it ran and they tied just into to the, the wall, yeah, to right. the galvanized riser in the wall. And right. then, but you can, over time you learn where to figure that all out. Now you can find yeah. if there's a basement, what the riser is by looking in the ceiling, if it's open right. and go, okay, what, what do we got here? We have and a shiny yeah. flashlight up the plumbing. Chest right. Room, yeah, right? exactly. So you look in the ceiling, you go, oh, okay, right. we have a galvanized pipe and right. galvanized stainless steel or, so, or just regular steel it's yeah. regular steel coated in zinc and so that's you know so that looks like what you would think a silver kind of color and then over time you know a little dullish yeah, yeah. but in terms of the mm -hmm. types and then uh you know because then it went from at least in the midwest you know really or in chicago where it started out where it's uh you know in most buildings you'll see it's galvanized or copper there's not in a lot of other areas we've looked at stuff, there were a lot of other intermediary products they let you use. Polybutylene and PEX now, right? Yeah, but none of that stuff's been allowed in Chicago. C so it's, A PVC. Yeah, so it's simple. Yeah, I was just at my right. sister's house in Austin, and they have, um, their plumbing was a clear uh, a clear plastic. A, like a bendable? I guess I didn't, it was, I was just looking at it and it's, I it's didn't try bending it, then. but I, cause I've seen pecs, but it's usually blue, blue or is what, my red. experience. Right. Yeah. But I've, it's they also were, clear. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, at this house, this is in Austin, Texas mm -hmm. and they were, yeah, they went with a clear. Yeah. It actually looked pretty nice compared to having like a blue thing hanging out the wall. So I, and it's much more efficient, great water flow, right? There's a lot of positives to it. Yeah. So at least, and so if you're looking at it, you, you want to understand the difference where, you know, if you see a galvanized pipe over time, those rust from the inside and your water pressure starts dropping. So if you see that, and let's say it's a renovation project you're going to take on, you're not going to be able to just go, uh, especially if your water pressure is bad okay, I'll just redo the kitchen only. Like right. you really are signing up. Now you got to redo all the plumbing as well. Right. So it's important to check that. And I mean, the easiest place to check to start is under the sinks. Yeah. Because then there's going to be a pipe running out uh, into from the, the sink. Through the back of the cabinet. Yeah, in, the, right. in the bathroom or the kitchen out into the wall. Right. So that's the easiest place to catch it. A lot of times it's dark and there's a lot of stuff in these cabinets because right. people live there. So what I do is I turn my phone to where it's, the flash is forced to on. Uh -huh. Then I take a picture of it, and then I look at the picture. It's actually easier than yeah. shining your flashlight right. or your phone as a flashlight, and then moving the toilet paper out of the way, trying to then. see it. Yeah, or even it's harder to see. Whereas, I mean, I got the I don't know what iPhone number we're on now, but mm -hmm. I have the most recent one, thirteen or something. Yeah. But it's um, takes great pictures. Why bother putting your head in the cabinet? You can right. just reach your arm in right. and take a much more clear picture. For sure. Plus, when you forget in two weeks anyways, what the heck you saw, you can mm -hmm. look at the pictures. Right. So, yeah, that's something I always check. Uh -huh. uh, even if it's not a renovation deal, I want to know what we're getting ourselves into. And then I do the same thing with the all the HVAC equipment. Like, I uh -huh. want to go see the approximate ages, roughly right. what we have going on here. Because, again, like in my experience, you know, most of these mechanical items, their useful life is really like 10 years. Right. So, you know, we're talking appliances 
uh, which is including washer and dryers, water mm-hmm. heaters, furnaces, right, air conditioning condensers. Um, that like that's so this I want to know what I'm getting myself into, and most of these they have the date they were made on the, yeah. the sticker. Yeah, a lot of them are the dates right there. Some you have to go online. There's a great uh, website, buildingcenter.org. And you can go and there's a decoder there. You can plug in the uh, serial number and it'll tell you when the age was, was uh, what the age of the appliance is. Yeah, because some, there's it says manufacturer then has a clear date, just normal right. month, year, easy. And then some there's not. And They're then you need to the decode yeah, right. the serial number. Yeah. Right. And so those, I, uh, you know, I'm looking for like an easy, I'm walking through. We decided to go look at the HVAC on the roof or whatever, and yeah. all the dates are on the sticker, and right. it says, uh, you know, R22 2004. Right. I know what I'm signing up for. Right. And if you don't know that, you're signing up to replace pretty yeah. quick. Cause Unexpected they, expenses. Because in most states, R22 gas is illegal now. And if not. Well, it's not illegal. Or what happened? Why are we not? Well, it's no longer allowed to be manufactured in the u.s oh. or imported into the u.s right okay and so therefore it's becoming very expensive and hard to find yeah so then that is right and it's yeah i should have said that differently because it's right if you have r22 gas you're not you going to be arrested right, but it's yeah, your um right. uh you can still buy it you can find it on ebay yeah but it's it's very dear. expensive so you recharge your old unit and you're already you know a quarter or a third of the way to just buying to a, new a new one exactly yeah Although then you get in the whole thing of do we need to do the coil in the furnace too now? Yep. Right. And also you're switching gas and you yep. know, do you need different lines? There's a lot, right? A lot to figure out on this at times. But just for starters, you know, you you don't need to know all that. But right. grabbing the dates and knowing how am I compared to this 10 year mark, uh-huh. um, that's important. Then you can budget because right. then if I was buying that deal and all that equipment in this hypothetical was that old, it's 2004. I know I'm going to have it for a while. I would, I'm just start budgeting to either replace them over time, just do a few mm-hmm. a year, or we're just going to do it all up front. Uh-huh. So, and that just depends on what, um, what your right. deal is. If you're doing a full renovation, like those got to be changed during mm-hmm. that. So. Getting back to the plumbing side though, another thing that's can be expensive and important, you probably run into it is, uh, the cast iron stacks, right? Yeah. So if you can find out if the, or the let's say you're buying a 1920s type building, or even earlier, if they're the original cast iron stacks, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to have to get into the wall and replace those. Right? What, what would you say it's a useful life on cast iron? Well, if you look online, it'll tell you 60 to 80 years. Um, but I've certainly seen it older and I've seen it fail sooner. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that too, one thing uh, the we've used uh, a, a company in Phoenix, uh, Inspect First is their mm-hmm. name. And they, they, um, you set up an appointment with them for the inspection and they bring out a plumber mm-hmm. and a pest inspector, just the, all kind of one scheduling. Right. And then they, and they're the plumbing inspector they use, they camera all the stacks. Yeah. Even, that's excellent. Which that's, uh, that's that I was impressed by. Yeah. Cause that's something where here I've seen all sorts of, right. There was a deal uh, that we did not buy because once we did the physical inspection, uh-huh. It was a courtyard building that you inspected and then another in Humboldt. Yeah. But yeah. we don't, uh, yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you yeah, said yeah. that. Uh, some units and yeah, Beverly and, was with me. Yeah. But yeah. that one, we, the sewer was broken in over 20, Under. over 20 places. Yeah. So we didn't want right. to mess with it. Yeah. So we, that one we didn't want to get into, but that was going to be, cause again, it's like what you, what I was saying when I went in that building, that was the stairs were wood and it had built-ins uh-huh. you could tell it was nice. This and what we cameraed 
uh-huh. there was broken in 20 places. Wow. What do you think the stacks are like in, yeah, the, in exactly. the building? Right. So, so I'll, like, I'll always take my flashlight to the roof and I'll look down the stacks from the roof. And you can usually get a pretty good feel for the condition of them. You'll see how much corrosion there is on them, how thin they're getting. What what is a cracks. what is an older cast iron look like then? It's really rough inside because of the corrosion and sometimes cracked and quite often it's blocked. Yeah. So there's debris in there and, and they're not acting as a plumbing vent any longer, right? So then you get siphoning of the drains and sewer gas coming into the units. Right. Yeah. Because one thing with a drain, you need you need airflow up for the water to actually flow down. Right. It's, so it's well, it's an easy avenue for. Uh, sewer gas to get out to the atmosphere and not come into the building and it prevents the siphoning of the drain traps right yeah let's say uh you flush the toilet and that water going through the pipe is pulling on everything behind it right as it flows through it's the like a venturi it's just like driving down the street with your car window rolled down smoking a cigarette the, yeah the air from outside is pulling on that cigarette smoke the same thing happens when you flush the toilet it pulls on all the drains behind the bathtub drain and the sink drain and if it pulls out the water in that p-trap now there's nothing blocking sewer gas from coming up through the drain right and that's that's another that's a real common thing as yeah, an owner if there's sure. a sewer smell first thing is yeah. get water in your drains right that's the you floor know, drains, right? Yeah, nine and sometimes they're concealed. They might be, so maybe somebody carpeted over the floor drain in the basement, or they put the laundry unit over yeah. the floor drain, and now you know they don't know it's there. Yeah, because those need water sitting in them to keep the right. gas from coming out. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. Let's think. What? Maybe let's just close with some sort of with some. Uh, We're done already. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This. Uh, God, uh, that was quick. Yes, yeah, a story or two. Like, so what would be some of the that comes to mind? Like a. Uh, actually, I have some ideas on the types. Of, what's what's a worst story if you got it on like an owner sticking around that you got? I don't know if I have a worst story. A couple come to mind. One is um, a single family home inspection. The, the guy was holding his, his little dog and the dog bit me three times before the guy finally <laughs> took the dog and put him in the garage. And then in general, when owners are hanging around, like a fart in a phone booth, as they say, um, it's a sign that they're trying to determine whether or not you're going to find the issues that they know are there, and they're very concerned that you're going to to find those or not. So I, I find it an interesting dynamic when the client's there. But over the years, I've learned to just tune all that out, and I don't care who's there. I'm going to just kind of stick my nose. As you probably know, I don't do a lot of chit chat. I try and just kind of. I observe I and document and yeah because that's that's right i would just think there's been plenty of times where you know anytime you point something out there's the owner on some of these they're, oh, they're there with their commentary or the realtor and they're going to take exception to your statements and it's like i don't i don't have time for that so what would be like the craziest thing that you found in an inspection i don't know about crazy but one of the oddest ones i took a picture of it, it it's lost now somewhere in uh, uh, the terabytes of photos I have. Um, but the air conditioning condenser was on the roof and they had mounted it on uh, a, an old uh, mattress because they couldn't stand the vibration yeah. coming through the roof anymore. That's, so. that's in the, the guide on how to install it. It's the old <laughs> mattress and this is, you know. Vibration yeah. control, right? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that's, I've never yeah. seen that. 
That's good. I got what um I was gonna say any and then what about any sort of like uh something that was repaired, let's say, but just repaired in crazy a crazy repairs. way. Yeah. Or you see a lot, you know, coffee cans used instead of drain pipes and uh you know, radiator hoses instead of P traps and you know all kinds of crazy electrical stuff. Actually, one inspection I was on, the electrical uh, box was glowing, you know, during the inspection. Uh, so yeah, you don't want that. No, it's probably not. <laughs> no, <I'm just laughs> a, a wise purchase at that point, at least. So. Yeah, that's. And then, oh yeah, and then in terms of things to look out for that I do too, I have tried to in any market we're in get a gauge for Cloth what wire. What kind of wire is yeah, a problem in that right. market that's being used and then know what you're Aluminum. getting yourself into. Right. And because, yeah, we've been buying deals in Phoenix, too, and then been looking at other places. And a lot of these other areas, they weren't as they're not as weren't as strict as Chicago over the years on what to use. And uh -huh. I mean, Chicago, they're still in the old days, basically using cast iron and right. uh, copper and well, stuff. And trying to liberalize that right now. They're doing pilot projects where you can. I, I know, yeah, but it's mm -hmm. I still have not walked into a building myself where I've seen that used, right. I don't think. No. And but then in these other places, they have allowed much more like uh, there's a lot of aluminum wiring and yeah. then a lot of um, uh, just those breaker boxes that are uh, like the oh, Federal the Pacific Federal ones. Pacific and or the or, or, yeah. Uh, and so this. You want to know what's, you know, in your market, what to look out for. Right. And, you know, that's usually for me. Starts Chinese with the, drywall. Yeah. Is right. that that's uh, yeah. Like that's I've not ran into that. No, that was I haven't a, seen any in the Chicago area at all. I know in Florida that was a huge thing in the condo yeah. boom along you know. the southern coast, the Gulf Coast, especially. Yeah. And so for me, what I usually am looking at when I get in and we've touched on a lot of it is HVAC. Because uh, I want to assess like what are we getting into age wise, and then what kind of equipment is it? If it's the modern type, or what are we looking at? Right. And then plumbing, uh, if it's here, copper or galvanized. Other places are using right other materials too. Right. And let's see what else. Electric. Uh, electric. Always look at that. Yeah. And this is on this kind of initial walkthrough. Windows. Uh -huh. I want to know what they are like. Uh, single pane, double pane, what is it? Uh -huh. It's really hard for me to tell. So actually my tip, what I've been doing uh -huh. to tell if it's single or double pane is I put my finger on it uh -huh. and I can see if I'm touching yeah. the other. I never, right. yeah. honestly, I never figured that out until like a year or two ago. And or I just was look like, for the spacer bar, right? I, I don't know. I have a hard time Between seeing that. Two. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm not, the finger thing has but been- even, the, you know, some uh, double pane windows, there's a lot of very low quality builder grade windows that were installed over the years that are not performing very well, especially in rental situations, right? Where the occupants are a little bit rough yeah. with the windows. And even though they're relatively modern vinyl windows, they still have to cover them in plastic in the wintertime because yeah. they're so breezy or they'll install them without the proper clearances, right? So you look at the space between the frame of the window and the movable component, the sash, and a lot of times it's wide and the weather stripping isn't compressed and making contact and it's just going to be Taking really drafty. Hot and cold air, yeah. Yeah, so I'd say those are the big things. And then always the exterior, like the the masonry, what condition is that in? If it's a brick building or stucco or whatever it is. And that's a good point. Uh, the number one place where the water is going to come in and become visible is along the top edge of the window. So if you're walking through a property, bring a flashlight and at every window, shine your flashlight along the top of the window jam because that's where you're going to see yeah. those stains, right? the drip and marks and 
And a lot of times too, like, I mean, there's metal that that water come in contact with. So you'll see like a rust looking metal on there or water on there. Um, Yeah. And then let's see what else. And I think the last one is rough. You know, what's the Mm -hmm. situation with the roof? And, you know, it depends again on the market, but it's one thing that I've learned is uh, if you have a pitched roof, a lot less problems than a flat roof. Right. That there's. You know, it runs, water runs off the pitch roof, these uh, flat roofs. It's Not only with regard to the roof itself, but also with regard to the exterior walls. So those uh, single white concrete block buildings that were built, so many were built of for 30 or 40 years here in Chicago. Um, the ones that have a peaked roof or pitched roof are much less likely to have water problems coming through the walls. Right, because it starts at the top, right? If you have a flat roof, your your parapet wall, you know, you, it could be the taken. parapet's exposed on two sides to moisture. And when you have an attic, though the open cores of the concrete block can uh, evaporate the moisture out into the attic. There's that stack effect yeah. where there's always You've air flowing this. through the concrete block up into the attic and out through the roof vents. So there's much less likely to have moisture problems in that kind of building. Yeah. I believe it. So a lot of people are like, oh, should I buy a, a building made out of concrete block, especially split face, split face block? And, you know, the answer is that you don't always have to throw the baby out with the bathwater on those. Sometimes it can be an okay purchase. And do you recommend sealing that, uh, the split face block, or what would you do? Sealing is not cheap. So if there's indications that there's water coming in, absolutely, it's got to be sealed because the flashing wasn't installed properly, right? So you have to, when those buildings were built, they were built as um, masonry walls that are called drainage walls. So there were, every masonry building is constructed with the understanding that it is possible for water to get into the wall. A drainage wall will control the moisture, allow it to flow down through cavities, and then out the bottom. It'll hit the flashing above the windows and doors or at the base of the foundation and then flow out through the weep holes or weep ropes. When a a building is built without proper flashing, you typically have to convert your train of thought from a drainage wall to a barrier wall, right? We have to go, whoops, uh uh-oh, the flashing's not right. We're not gonna take the wall apart and retrofit all the flashings, so let's just make sure that no water can get behind that skin Right, right. The face of the building, and that's through sealing, uh, high build coating, elastomeric coatings, and caulking, and all that stuff. Right, and then you got to make sure you're not taking water from the top too. It doesn't do any good to seal yes. the wall from the right. And you the, still you have to wall. make sure that water can still get out if it gets in. And so that would be done with the weeps. I, okay, yeah, yeah. Ideally, you have some flashing and weeps are ropes that are in the in the masonry. Ropes aren't real effective. Uh, Weep tubes or weep grates, like little plastic grates, are much better. Right, you can actually get some flow yep. out. Yep, we have you see those at this building yep. where they got those right in between every every few bricks instead of the mortar. Right. Great. Well, then what sort of so we talked? I mean, just let's touch on this. Like, what other sort of services does domicile have? So we just talked only inspections, but I know you do other residential, commercial inspections. We do uh, energy uh, consults. We do forensic work if somebody's having, especially with moisture related, um, comfort issues. People are having comfort issues. Uh, people are having uh, odor problems in you know buildings. How to hopefully 
try and improve the compartmentalization to uh, alleviate those problems. So, so a lot of a lot of services, if you have issues after you've bought a property as yep. well, mm -hmm. forensic type stuff, and then uh, also uh, it's things if you're buying a property, you see, let's say we have a water issue. I know you guys do. One of the things is thermal imaging. You can see where yep. mm -hmm. the water is potentially coming in. How yeah. does that work? So thermal imaging, um, it's a good tool. It's not as many people think some kind of all knowing, all seeing device, you know, it's dependent on a lot of things. Uh, and most importantly is what the recent weather conditions have been. If we haven't had rain for a long time, well, your thermal imaging isn't going to pick up any moisture f uh, resulting from a leak in the roof or the walls. Right. So, um, the most important tool is between the ears of the inspector. There you go. Great. And then how do we get in touch with domicile? What if 312-488-1461 and the fabulous uh, Deb Marietta will answer your phone and uh, take care of scheduling. Great. And then what a website? DomicileConsulting.com. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Thanks for being on, Dan. Appreciate My it. My pleasure. Good. Great. Always good talking to you. Great job. Hopefully you guys all learned a lot. Uh, jumped around a bit there, but got some tips and practical things mixed in. So good deal. Great. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Rise and Invest podcast. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. If you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing, check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. And the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.